When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. True crime, unsolved cases, strange disappearances. Join me as we travel through the timeline of some of the darkest acts in human history. I'm your host, Kevin Eustace, and welcome to the second season of The Deadly Countdown. Episode 2. The Slenderman Stabbings, When Death Imitates Art. In just a few hours, Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire are due back before a judge who could decide if their case will be sent to juvenile court. Right now, the two 12-year-olds are charged as adults with attempted first-degree intentional homicide. After allegedly luring their so-called friend into the woods with a game of hide-and-seek and then stabbing her 19 times, allegedly carrying out the attack in hopes of meeting a fictional online character named Slenderman. That was the harrowing news report from ABC's Good Morning America advising about the impending trial of Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire following the attempted murder of one of their own friends in the hope of it being an offering to meet a fictional deity known as the Slender Man. Today we will take a deep dive into this case. We will question the internet's impact on our youth And we will take a look at the origin stories and indeed if there's any slice of truth about the Slender Man. But before we take that deep dive, I'd like to say a quick thank you to our wonderful newest team members over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also receive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case. Cold Case is released bi-weekly and we take a look at some of the cases which have remained unsolved and manifested theory after theory from both armchair detectives and professional detectives alike. We're building a wonderful community of true crime enthusiasts over on Patreon and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown just like the following wonderful new team members have. Haley, Shine On, Robert R, Stephen, Ryan, Lisa Marie, Taylor and Ruth L. Thank you so much, guys. Your support truly means the world because, of course, we are a new show, so your founding memberships are essential to the ongoing success of The Deadly Countdown. 
And so, if early ad-free releases and, of course, Patreon-only podcasts are your type of thing, head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown. But right now, for the Slenderman stabbings when death imitates art, let's start the clock. The internet has undoubtedly revolutionised every single last aspect of our day-to-day lives. Websites like Amazon allow same-day delivery for items that only a decade ago would have meant a trip to the nearest town. Wikipedia has made encyclopedias basically obsolete. News can be filmed, streamed and spread within mere moments of an incident taking place. Through the invention of the internet, the world has shrunk. Distance, at least from a virtual perspective, has become a thing of the past. You want to know how to plaster a wall, build a table, lay a carpet? Well, YouTube will lead you by the hand through each of those previously expert-only tasks. But everything comes with a cost. And no, I don't mean what you pay for your broadband. I mean an ethical and moral cost. Because for every good thing the internet has given us, there's an equal and opposite negative that comes along with it. Social media, evolving from sites like Friends Reunited through to MySpace, and finally, or maybe not finally the likes of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all in their own specific way, are designed to help us keep track of friends we would never usually run into as we left school, gained families of our own. But these sites allow the ever-busy adult to stay in touch and stay abreast of whatever their previous and current acquaintances are doing, how their life is going. We watch their kids grow, their relationships turn into marriages, or their marriages turn into divorces. Before every plus, some poor child out there right now is receiving anonymous threats. Threats from cowardly bullies from their school. Some are even being groomed by sex offenders. And this is just social media. For every YouTube video showing you how to fit a bathroom shelf, there is a site with a blueprint to download a 3D printable gun. From a creative and artistic aspect, the internet with insidious speed changed how music was consumed and how artists were paid. From Napster through to Spotify, Our creative industries are still, even in 2024, not completely steadied from the impact of the internet. However, the balance of good and bad continues even in this creative space. Because for every famous artist arguing how their revenue has dropped since streaming, the internet has also given unknown artists the same platform as the famous ones. 
and for a few dollars, you too can have your album on Spotify or Apple Music alongside Pink Floyd or Nirvana or The Beatles. For the amateur creative, the internet didn't necessarily level the playing field, but it definitely armed them more than ever before. Music, comedians, writers, all now had access, if done right, if the right hook was found, to anyone in the world with access to the internet. One of the key websites for amateur creative writers and artists looking for their work to go viral was, and still is, a website by the name of Creepypasta. What is Creepypasta, you may well ask? Well, as well as a website, it's also the term given to any spooky, paranormal, and more importantly, viral story or meme with a fictional background, occasionally picking parts of factual history to add a validity to the proposed monster, demon, ghost, etc. that the individual has created. Creepypasta is a hub where the darker side of people's imagination can run wild, walking a tightrope of folklore and fiction. Often, if a submitted story was captivating enough or touched the right buttons, it would resonate with readers so much they would occasionally reply to say that they have felt, experienced or even met the 100% fictional character from a fictional story. Without a shadow of doubt, the most successful birth of a legend from Creepypasta's height of popularity has not only become a word we now all know, but also was the apparent cause of one of the most heinous crimes of recent years, namely that of the Slender Man. Slenderman is one of the rarest examples of modern folklore, as we can point not only to the point of its creation, but also its creator, and why it came into existence in the first place. You see, in 2009, the Something Awful Internet Forum opened a competition, and the goal was simple. Use Photoshop to create paranormal images. A member of the forum, going by the name Victor Serge, submitted two photographs, both black and white. One shown the tall, expressionless black-suited figure with disproportionately long arms stood in the background of a children's playground, with the youngsters seemingly unaware of his presence. The next photograph appears to show the Slender Man almost herding a group of seemingly terrified teenagers through a clearing in a wood. Unlike other entries, Serge added text to the two pictures. On the second one, he wrote an alleged quote. We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But... Its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. Dash 1983 
photographer unknown, presumed dead. The first photograph of the unaware children in the playground had a caption which read, one of two recovered photographs from the Stirling City Library blaze, notable for being taken on the day which 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities cited as film defects by officials, fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. Dash, 1986, photographer Mary Thomas. Missing since June the 13th, 1986. Such details gave the Slenderman an air of believability, despite the fact it was a proven competition entry. The photos moved quickly around the internet and away from the shackles of being nothing more than a competition entry, it went truly viral. The vagueness of Slenderman's backstory allowed people around the world to come up with their own theories on how long he's existed and what was required to summon him what his modus operandi was, and like some sentient snowball rolling down a hill, the theories that added to the mystery stuck and created an ever-growing myth. Victor Serge's simple competition entry had literally became a monster in its own right. Soon, people were finding alleged photos of Slenderman from all over the world, he was even inserted into another fictional 16th-century German folktale, Der Grubermann. And once more, as that edition moved away from its fictional source, people began picking it up as fact. Soon, Slenderman fever was so rampant that by 2012, a video game featuring Slenderman was downloaded more than two million times. Now, let's think logically. Of those two million people, how many were aware of Victor Serge? Of the competition? Even of Creepypasta? Or, more worryingly, out of those two million people, how many people believed Slenderman was a genuine mystery? Or, at the very least that Slenderman was as legitimate a creature as, say, the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. I appreciate it seems ridiculous to make that comparison to two things whose existence have never been proven. But the point is, we can 100% prove Slenderman is a man-made fictional being. But to those who only heard of him through campfire stories or sleepovers, he was as likely to exist as the two previously mentioned cryptids, especially amongst children. And that brings us to 2014, Waukesha, Washington, and three friends from Horning Middle School, Morgan Geyser, Anisa Weiser, and Peyton Lutner. Three 12-year-old friends who were about to become viral in the very worst sense of the word. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Morgan, Anissa, and Peyton all had an atypical adolescent friendship. Occasionally, one would find themselves out of favor with the other two, and vice versa. However, one thing which separated Morgan and Anissa from Peyton was their ever-developing interest in the Slender Man. Now, we need to remember, this is 2014, the girls were seven when Slender Man was invented. Now age 12 and a full five years of internet additions and alleged true differing confirmations across not just the aforementioned sites, but on most internet sites that supported the supernatural or paranormal discussion meant that when the girls were searching for information on Slender Man, the chances of stumbling across any mention of a competition were minimal, and instead, they were seeing confirmation upon confirmation of the existence of this apparently all-powerful deity. Now, let's take a look at a term which sounds beautiful, but is often only used in horrific circumstances. That of Folia Jew. Put simply, when two people give each other constant validation in their own suggestions and beliefs, at such a pace, they convince each other that they, and only they, know the truth. And that truth is whatever they say it is. But worryingly, in terms of folly adieu, it's often incorrect and delusional beliefs which are shared and corroborated amongst the duo. And in this case, that delusional belief was the Slender Man. But not just belief in the Slender Man, but the belief by Morgan and Anissa that proving their loyalty to him would allow them to become Slender Man's proxies, gaining access to both his hidden lair and providing them with supernatural abilities. But their dilemma was how. How could the two 12-year-olds prove to Slender Man that they were worthy of becoming his proxies? Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire brainstormed ways in which they might demonstrate their worth to Slender Man. And they came up with a strategy that entailed an act of violence. They considered this approach to be an essential step in order to succeed in gaining favour with the Slender Man. But what amount, or more specifically, what act of violence exactly? Well, they came to the conclusion it had to be murder, since that would indisputably demonstrate just how valuable they could be to the Slender Man. For the sake of securing each other's guaranteed consent, 
The girls persuaded one another that as the action had already been decided upon, if they didn't carry it out, the Slenderman would seek vengeance by killing their families. Therefore, it was imperative that the action be carried out. However, who to murder? If you were to isolate and kill someone, who would be the easiest choice? Well, after mulling over several possibilities, there was only one clear choice. Peyton Lutner. It would appear that the decision was made not out of any particular hostility towards Peyton, but rather out of convenience and opportunity. In the beginning, the girls took into consideration a number of different approaches to the assault. One of the early plans that they examined was to murder Lutner in a restroom located in a nearby park. They believed that a bathroom would drain all of the mess and make the cleanup operation much simpler. However, they decided against pursuing this plan when Morgan experienced a sudden light bulb moment. You see, her 12th birthday was just around the corner. So they decided to make plans for a sleepover. Surely that would not raise a single eyebrow. The decision to have the overnight at Morgan's house was a calculated one. The three young ladies would be able to spend time together in a location that was both private and unsupervised, thanks to this seemingly innocent sleepover. The fact that the overnight was apparently a celebration of Geyser's 12th birthday helped to conceal any concerns that may have been harboured regarding their ulterior motives. How to kill Peyton was a decision they made quickly. They would stab her to death. Choosing a weapon was something essential to their plan, and with the help of wire, Geyser chose a kitchen knife, one they chose from a drawer in Morgan's home. The fact they had such easy access to the weapon, to them, galvanised they'd made the right call. At first, it was intended that the assault would take place in the house during the night of the sleepover. Horrifically, they intended to tape Peyton's mouth shut and stab her in the neck and then run away after they finished the job. However, they didn't go through with this first plan, for reasons that aren't totally known. But it's possible that they were apprehensive, or they had a change of heart at the last moment. Therefore, the plan was altered the following morning. In order to entice Peyton into a nearby wooded area in David's Park... Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire made the decision to pretend they should all go to the wood to play a game. They proposed to Peyton that they play a game of hide-and-seek. Well, Peyton Lutner agreed, and in doing so, put herself in a situation where she would be easily exposed. By playing hide-and-seek the duo guaranteed the chance to isolate Peyton and catch her off guard, and therefore make the attack more manageable. 
Geyser was the first one who handled the knife whilst travelling through the forest. More than anything else, Wire's duty was to provide support and encouragement. In later admissions, it stated that there was a brief moment of doubt. Nonetheless, following a brief exchange between the two, Peyton was thrown to the floor. Geyser used a blade that was five inches long to stab her 19 times in the arms, legs and midsection of her body. Two of the wounds were to significant organs. One of them went through her diaphragm and cut into her liver and stomach, whilst another missed a major artery of her heart by a millimetre or two. Morgan and Anissa, despite just attacking Peyton, told Peyton to lay still whilst they went off to seek help. But they left the scene with no intention of doing anything of the like. Instead, they head off on a very long walk to the Nicolette National Forest, where they believed the Slenderman's mansion was. They both carried with them a backpack containing water bottles, granola snacks and photographs of their families to keep as a reminder because they genuinely believed they would never see them again. Peyton, who had been abandoned in the woods, somehow, despite the severity of her injuries, was able to crawl to a nearby trail where she was discovered by a cyclist. And after the rider dialed 911, Lutner was transported to a hospital. Her ability to persevere and the prompt involvement of medical professionals were both critical factors in her unbelievable, almost miraculous survival. Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire were arrested and taken into custody after being picked up in the vicinity of Interstate 94. Some hours after the assault had taken place. They were picked up heading towards the Nicolette National Park, although they were still over 200 miles away, still carrying the bag that contained all of their things, including the bloodied knife that was used in the assault on Peyton. Despite only being 12 years of age, adult charges of attempted first-degree intentional murder were brought against Geyser and Wire after they were taken into custody. You see, anyone who is 10 years old or older who has been charged with attempted first-degree intentional murder in the state of Wisconsin is required by law to be tried in adult court, especially at the beginning of the process. Hearings were held during which arguments were made on whether or not the girls should be tried as adults and assessments were conducted to determine whether or not they have the mental capacity to stand trial. Evaluations such as this were very important since they assessed whether or not the girls had knowledge of what they were doing, and whether or not they were able to engage in their own defence. Each of the accused was subjected to a comprehensive psychological assessment. Early onset schizophrenia was the diagnosis that was given to Morgan Geyser by the experts. Anissa Wire, on the other hand, was diagnosed with schizotypy, which is a kind of schizophrenia 
that is less severe than schizophrenia. And she was also deemed to have a delusional condition. Anissa Wire accepted a plea bargain. In August 2017, she pled guilty to being a party to attempted second-degree intentional homicide. However, she claimed she was not responsible for her actions due to mental illness. A jury found her not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. This verdict acknowledged that she committed the crime, but was mentally ill at the time of the attack. Morgan Geyser also accepted a plea bargain. In October 2017, she pled guilty to attempted first-degree intentional homicide. Similar to Wire, Geyser's defense argued that she was not responsible due to mental illness. Quoting, not only did she believe in Slenderman, but also Voldemort, the fictional villain of the Harry Potter series. The court accepted her plea and she was found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Wire was sentenced to 25 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years of locked confinement in a state psychiatric institute. This would be followed by communal supervision until age 37. This sentence was structured to provide ongoing psychiatric treatment and supervision. Geyser received a longer sentence due to the nature of her plea and her direct role in the stabbing. She was sentenced to a maximum of 40 years under mental health supervision, which again would include at least three years of locked confinement in a psychiatric institute, again followed by continued treatment and periodic re-evaluations. Both Geyser and Wire were committed to state psychiatric institutions where they received mental health treatment. The treatment was aimed not only at addressing the diagnosed conditions, but also rehabilitating them. Their sentences included provisions for periodic review hearings to assess their mental health progress and readiness for eventual reintegration to society. Subject, of course, to the approval of mental health professionals and the court. Although Geyser will remain at the Winnebago Mental Health Institute until deemed fit to rejoin society, Wire, after receiving thorough treatment and counselling, was released in 2021. On the proviso, she was monitored by a GPS tag and had minimal internet access, zero social media accounts, and was only allowed to leave the county with court permission. However, just last year, the stipulation regarding the GPS was lifted. Peyton Lutner returned to full-time education, and, due partly to her miraculous recovery, apparently began seeking a career in medicine. The questions around this case are varied and thought-provoking. What are the odds of two schizophrenic girls being best friends in the same class? Is that literally just a cruel twist of fate? Or do we underestimate the power of the internet in relation to the mental development of young minds?
Is there a broader question to be asked around internet use in general by pre-teens? Is there even a causality possibility in regards to the website accessed and the eventual dissociation with reality that both Geyser and Wire faced? And if so, where within today's society does that blame sit? They are questions that will never be answered, but certainly questions to ponder. Well, that brings us to an end of Episode 2 of Season 2, and I'd like to thank you all for choosing to spend your time with me here on your show, The Deadly Countdown. Next week for Episode 3, we have a treat in store, as both for the first and final time ever we will air a Patreon episode of Cold Case, so that all of our listeners can experience the type of show our Patreons get to experience by being a member. And so, next week, we take an in-depth look at the cold case of the missing Sodder children. Any audio used in today's show is covered by fair use, and the links to the clips can be found in the show notes. For our Patreons, I will speak to you again on Sunday for another episode of Cold Case, where this week we look at the Axeman of New Orleans. And for everyone, I will speak to you again next week for episode three. And until then, for the Slenderman stabbings, death imitates art, let's stop the clock. (laughs) 